with the lame man in Solomon's portico, speaking to all the people who came together because of the miracle of his healing. We're going to look at the text in detail, but before that, let's hear the story as it happens, because amazing events are here, and part of the wonder is how that story unfolds. So imagine, as the priests come out of the temple, what they see. Across that huge pavement, there are people crowded in and around Solomon's portico. Well, people always gather there. But this is something beyond the ordinary. So they go over to investigate. Imagine their shock when they get their answer. They're thinking, a miracle? I thought we stopped that when we got rid of Jesus. Not like they'd ever say that out loud, but Peter and John have this great crowd of Jews pulsating around them. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Yes. Sorry, back to the story. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Wow, it's amazing, it's incredible. What a story. And that contrast the contrast of response to the healing of the lame man and to Peter's sermon between the people in general and these rulers of the people. And remember, we're we're talking all Jews here, all family. The church at this point in its history is composed entirely of Jews or proselytes to the worship of Yahweh. In fact, 
it's probably true that all those who believed in Jesus thought that the church was simply the final expression of being a Jew, uh, belonging to Israel, being a part of that great family. It wasn't even called the church yet. It was not till years later after Paul, then using his name Saul, was attacking the church that they began to call themselves by a different name. And it was later yet that they understood that the church was a separate thing from Israel. So all those in Jerusalem would have seen this as a struggle within Israel, a family feud. Why were they not getting together on this thing? (laughs) Remember, at this point, everyone is thinking this is just a change in the nature of how Jews and those who believe with the Jews worship God. Maybe a new way that more people are brought to become proselytes of Judaism. So, about what were those leaders so upset? And why arrest anyone for healing a lame man? <laughs> what, are you going to arrest all the doctors too? I mean, Maybe if we go through this a piece at a time, we'll discover exactly what's going on. So, let's do it. Ready? As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Wait a minute. What about the healing? (laughs) They don't even mention it. Their complaint rests on two things. Teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. From the standpoint of the rulers, the disciples have committed two crimes. Why would teaching people be a crime? (laughs) Well, the high priests had reserved this for themselves. They knew what the modern thought police know. Control what people learn and you control them. Uh, We know the communists did and do still carefully control the dissemination of knowledge. All totalitarian governments have been careful to do so. And you'd be correct if you said that most Islamic countries keep a real tight throttle on their teachers. But of course, the same thing happens here, if to a lesser degree. If you aren't really sure, you can simply study the creation-evolution debate, which I have a lot. If a science teacher mentions creation in a state-run school, they lose their jobs. In fact, some have lost their jobs, one just north of here, simply for asking kids to question basic evolutionary dogma. Just ask him questions. Lost his job. Creationists are barred from publishing papers in peer-reviewed science journals. The director of the Smithsonian Institute's science publication, he's an avowed evolutionist, by the way. He was fired because he allowed the publication of a creationist paper, even though the paper didn't deal with the creation-evolution debate at all. It had nothing to do with it. But the guy still got fired because he allowed that guy's paper to be published. <laughs> And if you're still not sure, you should view Ben Stein's movie, Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed. This Jew's done his homework. And those Jews, two millennia ago, should have done their homework. God had used prophets centuries before them because the priests of that day were not doing their jobs. The priests of Peter and John's time should at least have questioned whether this fell into that category. But they were unwilling to accept any opposition to their absolute dominance in intellectual pursuits. But what was their beef about 
proclaiming Jesus in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The ruling party was almost all Sadducees. And they were sad, you see, because they denied any kind of supernaturalism, especially something like the resurrection from the dead. None, zero, zip, nothing. There's no such thing as supernatural. And I know you may be thinking that sounds very much like the materialists of today. Uh, it does, but with a, a nominal, an in-name only belief in God. So it's actually like deism, the idea that God started the universe and then walked away. There can't be any such thing as a savior because God would never be, never touch anything so base as this universe. God just wouldn't be involved. I know people have crazy beliefs. Let's go back to our Israeli family. So, what's going to happen when this is their worldview? And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And that a very nice thing for family to do to some of its own members. But why arrest them at all? Uh, why not just ask them to show up and explain themselves the next day? And did you notice it's evening now? So it's taken them three or four hours to act on this. Why the great hurry now? Oil for lamps was expensive enough that most people went to bed soon after sunset. So why not let it die out tonight and deal with it in the morning? Well, you know how it is. People who love control, <laughs> they don't take chances. Nothing that could give anyone else power of any sort is allowed. Nothing. And then Luke points out a different reaction that begins to clarify what is happening. Right in the middle of all this, he says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Wait, isn't this a story about the priests? And right in the middle... Luke mentions this. Why? Many believe, but not the priests. <laughs> Belief should have been their response, but <sighs> alas, it was not. Sad, sad and more sad. Anyways, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family the established religio-political authority. But these were Jews, just like the lame man. They should have seen this as a happy occurrence in the family. Our brothers healed. Let's celebrate. But they did not. <laughs> they saw it as a disruption of their power base. So they take Peter and John, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And you really think they cared? <laughs> Do <laughs> you think they cared how this happened? That they're really interested in Peter and John's answer? I bet some of them wondered if it was fake. Probably did. But the Holy Spirit drove Luke to write this inspired text because he wants us to ask a different question entirely. Why do they think it's their right to demand an answer at all? It's not like these priests are out there healing lame men. Shouldn't they be begging Peter and John to teach them? But they did actually ask the question. Even if it was only for form, you know, you got to look good. So they get an answer. I'm pretty sure they don't want to hear. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you 
and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter starts with the correct and polite address to them. Rulers of the people and elders. That was correct address. But even in that, he gives their first little stab. If, if, if you really want to know about the miracle. Now, Peter knew full well <laughs> that it wasn't about the miracle at all. It was only for their desire for power and control, their belief that they were the most important thing on the block. In other words, their enormous arrogance. But Peter answers their question. It's Jesus, guys. You remember the one you crucified just a few months ago. <laughs> I'm sure in Peter's mind he's thinking, do you remember that trial? I mean, I do. <laughs> and it is amazing what he says. In straightforward language, he calls them murderers. <laughs> Shouldn't they have been riddled with guilt and repented or be incensed? Remember the first time Peter told a group of Jews that they killed Jesus? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? That's what these guys should have done. <sighs> but they didn't. And we've already read that many of the people that heard him say this in Solomon's portico recognized their sin and repented. But the high priest's no such reaction. So Peter goes on, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay. This is kind of fun. There's actually a little intrigue going on here. Peter's quoting from a salvation psalm, a very common psalm that was repeated a lot in that day, Psalm 118. One these priests, and well, everybody in Israel would know. Okay. So let's take a look at a few verses from it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. All of Israel should say, his steadfast love endures forever. All the priests the house of Aaron, if they fear the Lord, should be repeating this phrase. Indeed, the whole song, but they won't. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Jesus became the salvation of all believing Jews. There is salvation in no one else, Peter said. All believing Jews, but not these priests. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. These priests should have known immediately 
what Scripture Peter was quoting? I'm sure they did. So they knew full well what came next. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. They had heard Jesus claim that he was the light of the world. But it meant nothing to them. Just like water off a duck's back. So they could not join with the psalmist who ended as he began, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His For his steadfast love endures forever. God was good to the lame man in healing him, but they could not see it. God was good to Peter and John in allowing them to be a part of this sign, but those priests couldn't hear it. In fact, they completely missed the climax of Peter's statement, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. That's the message. But they missed it. So they didn't do as the psalmist instructed. But they do get something. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now much has been written about the clear recognition of Christ-likeness in Peter and John. When they saw Peter and John, they saw Jesus. Very good. Contemplate this. But today, we're considering the priests and their reaction. They were so surprised at Peter and John's boldness that they didn't hear what they said, but only how they said it. Otherwise, they'd have been angry for being called murderers. They were taken back at the strength of Peter and John's argument. But also, even that they argued at all. The priests were so sure that they were the only ones who understood anything of depth that they couldn't conceive of these country bumpkins actually having anything to say worth listening to. Note the point. Uneducated, common men. Now, all Jewish males were educated to about the level of our high school graduates, all of them. It's actually a requirement. Uh, they just weren't the elite. <laughs> In the pre-size, any education that didn't come through their system, through them, was not education at all. So three and a half years of intense, small group discipleship with Jesus, the Son of God, meant nothing to these priests. didn't mean anything. Since I mentioned the evolutionary establishment earlier, I'll, I'll use it again as an illustration. There's never been anyone more shocked than Richard Dawkins when someone as simple as Ben Stein knocks him over with a few questions. Got to see the movie. Dawkins was so sure he knew everything, he couldn't even conceive that a simpleton like Ben Stein could even form a question he couldn't answer. And so he ends up stumbling and hem-hawing around. It's really quite fascinating. And not that he'd ever admit he didn't have an answer. In fact, there's one evolutionary propagandist uh, with an earned PhD, he's a real scientist, he pointed out that any high school student with a few of these creationist questions can stump any one of us. We have to find a solution. That's an exact quote to a group of other evolutionists. And he's quite correct. Now, either that or they have to admit they are wrong, but... That's not likely to happen. <laughs> so these priests grilling Peter and John were completely stumped. 
But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What are you going to say when the evidence is standing in front of you, breathing, <laughs> staring you in the face? You know, it's gonna, you know, don't worry, they'll think of something. When people don't want to believe, they'll always come up with a reason. It's stupid, maybe. <clears throat> and did you get what it means that the healed man was standing beside Peter and John? How did he get there? They arrested the man who was healed. Okay, there's a small chance that he came as a supporting witness for the guys through whom he was healed, but it doesn't seem very likely. Those priests arrested him. A man who was just healed. They arrested him. <laughs> Can we just say these guys got no heart at all? They don't begin to understand God's goodness, his steadfast love that endures forever. And they have no answer. So they drop back and punt. <laughs> but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. It's truly, truly amazing. They see the sign right in front of them. They admit everyone had seen it. They recognize that everyone knows it is clear evidence of God's work among them. And so what is their conclusion? But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They see the sign is notable, but they don't note it. When people start a pattern of disbelief, almost nothing can shake them from it, especially if it's based in arrogance. And we must not forget, this is the exact same group of people that were together at Jesus' mock trial not so many months before this. And here's it. I think this is kind of funny. Okay, They act as if they've never heard Jesus' name before. Who is this guy? What is his name? I mean, are you kidding me? You condemned him to death, even death on a cross. And you want to pretend you don't even know who he is? They for sure don't want to actually say his name out loud. Did you catch that? They never say it's this guy. They're trying to distance themselves to avoid any blame. They're missing A. Admit you are a sinner. But they know. Every one of them clearly remembers the trial of Jesus. And they know with painful certainty the claim of Jesus' resurrection. And this certainly looks like corroborating evidence, wouldn't you say? But they just pretend it isn't happening. And these guys, they simply would not leave. They would not. Even with living, irrefutable evidence standing in front of them. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I mean, are you kidding? This is your solution? And do you really think this is going to work? They did ask, by what power or by what name did you do this? So Peter told them it was Jesus whom they crucified and God raised from the dead. Question. If a person in your family could be changed for the better so dramatically by this name, wouldn't you think it should be shouted from the rooftops? <laughs> and not only do they not want to say Jesus' name, they don't want anyone to say it. I think Peter and John were pretty amazed by the response as well. But Peter and John answered them, 
Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Gentlemen, your demand makes no sense. (laughs) God has obviously acted here and we would be fools to obey you when God is speaking so clearly. So we're telling you right now, we're just going to dismiss your orders and follow those that God has given us. So, did this wake them up? Did they finally get it? Uh, No. (laughs) They fell back on their basic solution for all opposition. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They threatened them. These priests were not interested in the truth. Only in keeping their position. They didn't care that their fellow Israelite was healed. But they did care that their constituency was aware of it. They couldn't even rejoice that their brother, who had suffered for more than 40 years, was free. There's no feeling, no connection between them. They were too filled with themselves to be concerned with the family. Actually, the truth is, there's no family here. They never were a part of the family. They weren't really Jews, except by birth. As Paul, a Jew of Jews, later wrote, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. These guys were Jews, part of the family, outwardly. But their hearts were not in it. There were lots of signs this was the case. Caiaphas was the legal high priest, but his father-in-law, Annas, was really running the show. And this entire high priestly family was not the family God had designated through Moses. They weren't even the priestly family. They had usurped this power by crooked political intrigue, paying Rome for the privilege. They pretended to give Jesus a real trial, but everyone knew the verdict was decided before they arrested him. Everything about them was lies and deception and compromise. None of it was about their brothers and sisters in Israel. The truth is, there wasn't a family feud at all. It was just a feud. Those who would not believe were fighting those who believed. We need to realize that some of those who seem to be our family really aren't. And I don't know about you, but for me, there's a significant feeling of loss in this. But there is a great encouragement in these words as well because we do have a family. A family that we will enjoy for all eternity. A family where we can be healed. A family where our brothers and sisters will jump up and down with us if we are healed. A family that might even go to jail with us if we needed to be. A family bound together by the love of a God who is our Savior. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This real family... Doesn't feud. 
we all celebrate together the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Thousands of people joined the family when a lame man was healed. Those priests rejected the family, threatened it. But our salvation is in a God whose steadfast love endures forever. So here's your question of the day. Who will you invite to be a part of this family? Father, strange thing to see family fighting like that. Yeah, we aren't perfect and we make mistakes and sometimes we fight. But you're leading us to a place where that will never be. A place of absolute perfect harmony. Wow. Not sure I even know what to do with that. <laughs> Our whole lives are filled up with kind of good harmony. And just to have it. Makes you wonder what we'll do. But I think it'll be better. We live here now, Lord, and we want people to understand this truth. The truth of the family of God. And we don't always know how to go about it. So we pray that you would help us, Lord, to be aware, one, that there is a family. And remember that there are people that we know that are our close family that we will spend eternity with. And also that sad truth, there are people we know who aren't yet a part of this family. Maybe we can be the person that helps them to see. Help us to find that way. Show people first the family exists and secondly you could be a part of it. Great need in our world today. Thank you Father. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.